You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Wegner Edstrom Worldwide Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer Marianne Allison goes on the record online. There will be dissent whether or not they create a forum for it and they need to be a part of the conversation and that sometimes part of that dissent actually comes from um, those constituencies investment in and even love for that particular technology. It's like they they worry about it and fuss over it um, because um, it's important to them. And, and that is something to tap into um, rather than run away with. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online, recorded at the PRSA International Conference 2007 in Philadelphia. This is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. We do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time discussions with bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers, and we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. My name is Eric Schwartzman. I host the podcast, and I'm also Managing Director of Schwartzman & Associates, a boutique Los Angeles-based PR firm that specializes in entertainment, media, and technology clients. I am also the founder and chairman of, of iPressroom Corporation iPressroom helps organizations, including Target, Trend Micro, and UCLA, amongst others, extend the reach and effectiveness of their marketing and PR campaigns online using the latest new media tools and services integrated into one powerful dashboard. Uh, Today we have a one-on-one interview with Marianne Allison. She is the Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer for Wegner Edstrom, an agency that provides public relations services using innovative communications methods for global organizations impacted by change. Um, As CIO, Marianne is responsible for the agency's intellectual property strategy as well as promoting ideas and innovation internally through cultural and educational initiatives. Uh, The entire interview with Marianne lasts just over 20 minutes, and we are going to play it for you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Marianne Allison, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Tell us, what is your mandate as Chief Innovation Officer of Wegner Edstrom Worldwide? I have two different aspects of that part of my job, and one is to look at the state of innovation in the world, since a lot of our clients are innovators, and to understand innovation from their point of view, um, and what it, what, how innovation is shaping the industries they're in, and um, how it relates to their strategic business objectives. And the second piece is more focused internally at Wagner Edstrom, which is um, cultural initiatives to drive innovation 
and um, encourage ideas within Wagner Anstrom because I think we all agree that our industry is facing a time of incredible evolution. Um, and uh, so innovation is required on, on both levels. What a fun job. I mean, that's got to be, I mean, I, I got to think that that's like the, ult- that's a dream job. It, Was it, there a chief innovation officer before you? Or are you the first no, one? No, I am the first one. Um, I'm certainly not the first chief innovation officer, but I am the first one at Wagner Edstrom. And um, I think it evolved out of um, noticing that the pattern amongst all of the clients that we work with, whether they're in the tech sector or um, whether they're in healthcare or um, any other sector, um, is that they are dealing with concepts and products and, and ideas that are some to some extent untested and are new and in some cases um, complex. And so the thread running through all of those was um, this notion that communicating innovation seemed different from other kinds of communications. There was a certain additional burden of learning and envisioning that was required to um, drive innovation adoption. And my interest in that led to my desire to spend more time thinking about it and helping the agency articulate and create value for companies who are in that space. And that was sufficiently valuable to the uh, CEO of my company, Melissa Wagner, that she allowed me to create this job. And I am lucky to have it. It's a very fun job. So I think Mark Twain once said, I didn't have time to write you a letter, so I wrote you a novel instead. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the most... um, uh, It's very uh, complex to make things simple. Yes. How do you do that? Well, a lot of that is through... um, storytelling through going back away from features and informations and facts um, and usually in in a, a science or a discovery area there's lots of wonderful um, invention behind what companies are bringing to market and and in fact sometimes so much that they can fall in love with all of the complexity and the the beauty of the concept of the product and so part of what we do is to on the one hand, help people appreciate that complexity and help people appreciate that part of the of the journey for that company that was really hard because that creates value for for customers in the marketplace to know that a company really 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 had to work hard to drive a particular innovation and so that might be around creating a sense of journey so um, there's a lot of interest in um, in in, in how a, a difficult problem was solved. And so creating story out of that. And then when it gets to more to the direct customer and especially to the consumer, some of those some of that complexity is maybe needing, needing to be concealed a little bit more. And it's finding that emotional um, touch point. And so moving from facts to emotion in driving adoption. So, so what is the hardest part of communicating organizational change or innovation to external audiences? Well, I think the hardest part is is just that it takes a long time. It takes many, many constituencies and stakeholders to be on board. So almost no innovation, true innovation, occurs in a vacuum. And one of the things we have to do with our clients is figure out who else needs to be bought in? You know, there's often ecosystem development required to drive um, innovation. Um, just for example, in um, in uh, healthcare, um, there's a lot of education needed um, in in the physician sector and other key opinion leaders who are going to um, weigh in on a on a new uh, drug, for instance. Or in the tech sector, often there are 
vendors, both software and hardware vendors, for instance, who are who um, for whom an innovation has implications, they need to be bought in. So I think sometimes what companies underestimate is how time intensive that can be and how many stages of communication they're going to need to go through before they reach their 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 um, end audience and their end customer. And so it's not so much that it's hard is that it's very communication intensive and there's a lot of evangelism and persistence and um, what's in it for me and um, a lot of um, early, early work that needs to be done to kind of ready the infrastructure to um, accept an innovation. And hopefully, if you've done your job right, by the time you're actually ready to go out to consumers, there's an industry in place that's mobilized and ready to help, um, help drive the adoption of that innovation. So uh, there was that famous book, Crossing the Chasm, mm-hmm. that came up with that term, early adopter. Mm-hmm. You know, people are often scared to be the first to buy a new gadget or software release because they assume it's not going to work or there's going to be bugs. Mm-hmm. And so they wait until the second or third iteration mm-hmm. comes around. What can be done to change that perception? I don't think it will ever change, really. I think there will always be people who are more curious and more um, motivated uh, just for the sake of their interest, whether whether it's because they have a specific problem that they know that it will solve and they're very curious about it, or just because they find it interesting. And I think the key is is not to expect that it will change, but to find those people and to mobilize them and to tap into their interest and enthusiasm and make them part of the make them part of the communication process. And and um, nowadays, um, it's easier and easier to find those people. They self-identify. Um, they collect around uh, social media um, sites. They uh, um, write blogs. Um, they you can reach them directly, and you you tap into them. You don't you don't. They're just will be early adopters. So and what we all you... know that, like in our office, there's always somebody who's first, and that person can be very influential. In so what would you purchase? say to a, if you were to offer this counsel to a client and they were to come back at you and say, yeah, we don't necessarily want to create a form for dissent, mm-hmm. you know, how would you respond to that? I would say that uh, they, there will be dissent, whether or not they create a form for it, and they need to be a part of the conversation. And that sometimes part of that dissent actually comes from... Um, those constituencies' investment in and even love for that particular technology. It's like they they worry about it and fuss over it um, because um, it's important to them. And, and that is something to tap into um, rather than run away with. So I would say that um, um, I, I would definitely try to channel that dissent and um, think of it as interest and attachment um, rather than try to avoid it. It's definitely a very exciting idea. Can you share with us any specific examples where you've done that and how it worked out? Well, um, one example, and I'm going to use a Microsoft example, not because we don't have others, but because this is an area that I've been involved in personally, um, is um, with the software developer community. Um, That's a very, very active, influential, chatty, opinionated group of people, they were the first to go online. They were um, communicating online way before um, the the typical um, industry segment. And um, um, in that case, um, uh, Microsoft has created direct-to-developer um, forms of communication like Channel 9. Um, were, were you involved with Channel 9? Yeah, the, it, my agency was, yes. 
And um, tell us about that. I mean, I, for those for those well, who don't know, why was it called Channel Nine? You know, I think it was really the, the 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 instigators at Microsoft really came up with that name, and I don't I don't know why it was called Channel Nine. Well, actually, the, the, was, the legend I don't know is what eight or seven that was. if you fly on a um, on a commercial airlines, the FAA mandates that the but communication a, between the cockpit and the radio tower be broadcast and available on Channel Nine. So that so that that transparency would somehow alleviate so, fear, fear the fear of flying. Thank you. That's probably exactly why they came up with that name. Then Eric, thank you for edifying me on that. Um, but the idea is that it does bring these guys in close. It says, we will share stuff with you that um, the unwashed masses will not appreciate. Only you will appreciate it. We will give you access to people within the company. We'll maybe talk a little bit about our warts um, around a particular project we're working on. And um, we'd rather be doing that in the conversation with you than by having you back channel and find that information or, or go to kind of non-authorized um, 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 vehicles. And, you know, a lot of companies these days have um, have unauthorized communications about their t- company happening that they're not even aware of. Um, we've often gone into clients and surprised them just by telling them we've read their employee blogs and it tells us something about their company. And it's amazing how many of them will say, what employee blogs? Um, and so Channel 9 was a great way to take that same energy that people have for kind of being on the inside and being close to the company and actually sort of feeding it. Um, and it's definitely not, you know, not necessarily ready for prime time for an average, you know, software end user. But it really feeds the needs of developers to kind of be able to scratch the surface of the company and see what's, what's really underneath. We're talking to Marianne Allison. She's the EVP and Chief Innovation Officer at Wegner Edstrom Worldwide. Um, given your, uh, given the fact that you are operating at the top of the organization, I've got to think that you're seeing a wide variety, that you have a broad perspective over initiatives that uh, the agency is proposing to clients and perhaps to new clients. What guide, what, what, what tips or words of wisdom do you have for, for, for others who may be trying to overcome client resistance to increase transparency? Yeah. Um, well, I think we're all facing that as an industry. And one of the things that's, that's happening in our industry that um, is a huge opportunity, really, um, but also a challenge for us is, is to let go of some of that control and the illusion of control that we were able to provide to our customers. And I don't know that we ever really ever, most PR people would argue that we've never really been fully in control. We've, I always think it's kind of like the serenity prayer is our, is our motto, like change what you can, accept what you can't change and know the difference. Um, but I would say that um, usually, um, so first of all, it's hard. Um, I would say start with experiments, uh, position them as experiments know whether you know have a metric for how you're going to decide if it's if it's going to if it's succeeding or not um just get them to try it or find the people in the organization who will um, be a champion of that and um um, get them to try something and then make a hero out of them in their organization um uh, point out the costs of not doing that there are plenty of daily you know snafus by companies who have um who have not successfully navigated those waters, and you can um, put them out as an abject lesson for a client, um, especially if it's a company that they can relate to. Um, and I think um, 
over time, I think the main way is not to scare them into doing it, but to position the opportunity to have that direct, it's like the dark side of of the direct-to-customer um, opportunity that's available to communicators now is this um, is the potential for things to blow up in their face. So, uh, But the bright side is that closeness to the customer and that closeness to the dialogue and the ability to make minute adjustments in real time um, so that a crisis never leaves a discussion board. It's, it's handled right there, for instance. So there's both a burden and an opportunity, but that's the way there is with any um, with any communications vehicle. So I would say focus on the opportunity um, and um, just just shoot for the 80-20 rule. 80% of our programs will be controlled. 20% are going to be experimental and new communications tactics and make them heroes if, if they succeed. I'm curious to know if you perceive any relationship between uh, philanthropy and early adoption of technology. And I'm thinking about, obviously, you know, Microsoft is one of many clients that your agency has, but it is a, a, an account that's been with the agency for many years. And I'm curious to, to know if, if um, uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's um, philanthropic initiative, if there's any relationship between an activity like that and a customer's trust in an organization, their, their willingness to take a shot on new technology. Well, I, w- I would say that that particular situation is um, is a, is pretty unique in the in in the world, really. But um, and I, I think there have been image benefits for Microsoft um, around the work of the foundation. They also have other charitable initiatives, and we we work with um, um, companies like one that I've been uh, working with recently is uh, GlaxoSmithKline GSK. We have their global vaccines business, and um, they have a lot of. Um, philanthropic work they're doing, which is very tied to their strategic business. So I think um, actually there's a lot of innovation happening right now in the way that um, what used to be thought of as corporate philanthropy is being done um, to um, advance business objectives. And I know that some of those objectives have, some of those strategies have been successful for Microsoft um, as they are for um, companies like GSK. Um, particularly where they're dealing with areas where the companies have actually, their products do have social impact. Um, Those are where they particularly um, build trust. Um, And so I think think the actual case you're mentioning is less less of a lesson because it's so unique. But in general, I am seeing that um, the right kinds of tailored social impact kind of initiatives can have a definite effect on on, um, audience, particularly where it's um, relevant to um, the business and it's relevant to the consumer. I I know um, you're not maybe directly involved in the the Microsoft account, but uh, this week, uh, Walt Mossberg, who's obviously the influential personal technology columnist who writes Thursdays in the uh, Marketplace section of the Wall Street Journal and who has uh, been interviewed for this podcast as well, Um, wrote, uh, over the ensuing months, Vista has proved to be a disappointment, even though Microsoft says it's selling like hotcakes, based on my own experience and on reports from readers, comma, it's clear that many Vista PCs start up more slowly than new PCs running its predecessor, comma, Windows XP, and even well-worn Macs. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, given that uh, Mossberg has opined publicly uh, on, on, uh, on Vista, and a lot of people had high hopes for Vista, and there's obviously mixed opinions of whether or not it's filling expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what 
what lessons or, or, or sort of high-level knowledge um, can you share with us about how you think um, uh, you know, the agency, Wegner, or any agency might be able to turn around um, these types of perceptions? Well, I think this is not, I'm not directly involved in that particular case, Eric, but um, it certainly resonates with experience we've had with <clears throat> other innovations that have been brought to market and have either sort of been like a rocket and shot out of the gate really uh, fast and then kind of fizzled um, or um, are successful by one measure, but not maybe the expectations of them are so high that um, they can't possibly meet them. And I think that, you know, innovation and bringing innovation to market is a journey. And uh, I think um, some of the steps, uh, uh, the difficult steps are um, at different parts of the journey, depending on the situation. In this case, um, um, this is certainly not the first time that um, I've seen, and I've been involved in um, many, where a product... um, um, doesn't appear to meet initial expectations. And sometimes, n- n- even even when the company is really working hard to set expectations in the beginning, um, I think it's just a matter of perseverance. And um, um, over time, typically, it's just a matter of um, uh, pursuing um, where what is working, um, responding to concerns, sort of sticking with it, and over time, historically, I've seen situations like this just resolve themselves out in the market. And um, I can think of many different instances in the past where similar things have been said at similar stages, which are now you know, regarded to be having been successful, super successful. So in some ways, you know, this is not the first time that Walt has written things like that about, about other companies in the industry or about Microsoft. And um, I think, again, it's a journey. Wegner Edstrom Worldwide Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer Marianne Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Eric. Enjoy the conference. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 